so good to see you this evening. And so many gathered out. I was going to say on a wet evening, but the rain has gone off, which we're pleased about. And uh, just nice to see you here uh, this evening. Um, we had a congratulations to Ben and Tori this morning on their engagement. But there's a second one. Uh, so congratulations to Jamie and to Bethany. Uh, we're so pleased about that too. We're going to give them the usual Napani <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> Lovely. Pray God will bless you both and just lead you and guide you, keep you in his way uh, in these days of preparation. We're excited for you. Uh, probably not as excited as you are, but we're excited nevertheless. And pray the Lord's blessing upon you. So we're going to go to prayer in a moment, but as we do go to prayer, uh, there are one or two folk that we should remember. Remember Andy Clark, continue to remember Andy and uh, his needs, pray for him. And of course Naomi, Naomi Charters, uh, heads for hospital tomorrow. Uh, and, yeah, and, right, okay. So just pray for Naomi and uh, pray for her family and uh, Pray that the Lord will just be gracious there and, uh, and touch her. And there are others in our fellowship um, for whom uh, prayer is necessary. And of course ourselves as we come together tonight, we come as a needy people. Again, always aware of our own weakness, aware of our need of the Lord just to touch us and to be with us. So let's pray together and commit our, uh, our service to the Lord. Gracious God, we thank you that we can come to you this evening as children to a father as those who are loved with an, an eternal love an everlasting love to the one who loves them from the beginning to the end and father we bow in thankfulness in gratefulness uh, at your feet in our hearts we would humble ourselves before you acknowledging again your greatness your great, great grace and mercy and our own smallness and weakness. Lord, it, it's beyond us to understand how and why you should ever set your love upon us and choose us to be your children. But Lord, we thank you that this is the gospel message that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That while we were yet uh, without Christ, he died for the ungodly. While we we're still far away, dead in trespasses and in sins. The Lord Jesus came as the life giver to give us life. And so, Lord, we acknowledge this this evening and we worship you because you're a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy, and a God who cares for us day by day. And we thank you for your hand upon us in these strange days in which we live. We thank you for protection. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the health and strength that we do enjoy. And we take a moment, Lord, to remember those uh, whose health is not what they would like. We think of our dear brother Andy tonight, and we pray for him. We ask your blessing upon him, that you'll touch him, and Lord, that you'll strengthen him in these days. Bless him and Donna and the family, we pray. Then, Lord, we remember in particular Naomi, as she faces surgery this week, we pray for the medical teams that, Lord, you will guide and direct and give them the necessary skill and insight and discernment that they need. And we pray, our Father, that uh, she will know your healing touch upon her. We pray for our mom and dad at this time for the rest of the family, Lord, in their anxiety. And we ask that you will just come to them and that you will bless them with your presence and your peace. We thank you, Lord, for answers to prayer. With regard to others, we thank you for Brother Bill uh, next door. And we pray for him, Lord, that you'll continue to bless him and be near to him, watch over him and protect him, Lord, and grant your hand will be upon him. We continue to pray for Willie Robert, Lord. We thank you for his life and his testimony. We thank you for the way in which he's been a blessing to so many of us. And we ask our Father that in these days you will bless him. Lord, may he know your presence. May he know uh, you beside him, as it were, day by day. And we pray for his family that you'll richly bless them too, Lord, as they look on and seek to care for him. And we do remember again, as we did this morning, uh, in the service this morning, remember those who are shut in, Lord. We think of Noreen and uh, Matty and Ede. And we pray for them, Lord. Watch over them. Guard the home there. We pray, Lord, that you'll protect it and grant it.
this uh, virus will not invade there. Lord, we commend them to you. And we continue to pray, Lord, for <clears throat> members of our family here who, who battle with long-term illness. And we pray, Lord, that your blessing rip on. Sustain them, Lord. The battle at times is hard, and the question why must often uh, rise in their minds. But we pray that they will know your peace and your hand upon them. Lord, we come to pray for ourselves tonight. Uh, we come as empty vessels again, Lord, and needing to be filled, needing to be refreshed, needing to be taught again uh, from the Word of God. We thank you for the reminder of the powerfulness of God's Word this morning. And we pray, Lord, that we will listen and, and heed and obey this Word, which is your Word to us. So hear our prayers this evening, Lord. Bless us in our worship. Help us, Lord, to lift our hearts to you. Help us to not just hear, but to listen to your word and to obey. And we pray that um, you will be glorified this evening in all that we do for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the uh, bugs are out of the system, so we're going to listen uh, to a lovely hymn, uh, Show Us Christ. Let's worship God as we hear this. <coughs>
a wonderful request, wasn't it, of uh, those Gentiles when they came to the disciples and said, uh, we would see Jesus. And uh, surely that is a desire of us all as we uh, come uh, to worship this evening, that afresh our eyes would be lifted to him and that we see something of him, something more of him, that we'll hear his voice speaking to us. We are going to read God's word together uh, from First John. 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, and we'll read from verse 1 to verse 12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God. That he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God. Has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God. Has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony. That God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God. Gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son. Has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's pray together as we come to consider uh, this uh, portion of Scripture and ask for God's help uh, upon it. Lord, again, we come to you as the God who knows all things and who is in control of all things. We come, Lord, to plead for your mercy upon us in these days of uh, anxiety and fear on the part of many, in these days of illness, Lord, we pray for your mercy. We ask, Lord, that graciously you will ease uh, this burden, if it would please you, that you would remove this uh, scourge, this virus from among us. But Lord, we realize that uh, so often uh, men choose to be ignorant of you that in all of our difficulties at the moment there seem to be so few who look heavenward for help. And uh, our Father, we pray that you will speak in this time. Uh, We know that your will is best. We know that you're working according to a, a great purpose. And we pray your purpose will be completed and that Christ will be glorified in all that you do, even in our midst. So Lord, we come to your word humbly. We recognize that there are many things in it we don't understand. There are other things that we perhaps don't understand as fully as we would like to. 
There are some, some things, Lord, we'll never know until we are in your presence. But we pray that you will speak to us and teach us what we need to know this evening from this portion of Scripture. Send us from here with the conviction that we have met with you and that you have spoken to us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about God a liar. That sounds a dreadful thing, doesn't it? But actually, it's contained twice in this uh, little letter of the Apostle John. Um, he tells us in the first chapter that if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. And uh, here in 1 John chapter 5, we have the same phrase again. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. I don't know how you felt as you listened to uh, Mr. Trump and uh, Mr. Biden in their uh, exalted debate uh, at the beginning of the week. I was shocked and uh, I think disgusted would be the term uh, as they really uh, treated insults and basically uh, called each other liars. It's a, a dreadful uh, description. For me, probably one of the most humiliating and shameful experiences that would be possible for anyone to be charged with being um, a liar. If someone is proud or critical or even bitter, it seems to me, and this is just my view, but that seems to be less damning uh, than the charge of being a liar. And to level that charge at anyone is, I think, profoundly serious and damaging. You see how often in Scripture the Bible speaks about a lying tongue, a false tongue, or deceitful words, uh, condemned in the strongest terms. And we remember, too, uh, certainly the, the cunning plotting of the Jewish hierarchy as they sought to destroy Jesus. And one of the ways they sought to do that was with the help of false witnesses. Those who were prepared to tell lies, to be liars, in order to nail Christ, as it were. It's interesting that false witnesses are still despised in our day. And false testimony in our courts today is still a serious crime. The crime of perjury uh, may attract very heavy punishment, including a significant custodial sentence if uh, it's deemed to be serious enough. So universally, therefore, uh, lying is... Uh, condemned, it's regarded as wrong and unacceptable, but that's uh, rather hypocritical, isn't it? Because so many really live uh, lives of lying and deceit. Now, John, in this course of scripture, is dealing with a witness or a testimony which is altogether different from human testimony. Uh, a human a man or a woman may stand up in court and may swear on the Bible or whatever they do uh, these days to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And they may do that to a greater or lesser measure. But John is dealing here with a different kind of witness, a different kind of testimony altogether, not the witness of fallible human beings, but the witness of God, the testimony of God himself with respect to his Son and the way of salvation. So if this is God's witness, if this is God's testimony, and God uh, does not, uh, uh, God is never false or untrue in what he says, then we need to sit up and take notice. So let's think about God's testimony here about Jesus. John states here that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. He's not talking here about mere intellectual assent. You know, you kind of nod your head in the direction of a truth uh, that something's true. He's talking about something far deeper than that. He's talking about trusting alone and completely in the one who is God's Messiah, the Son of God, the one whom God has sent into the world to save sinners. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, in that sense, who trusts and entrusts themselves to him, in that sense, they are born of God. Well, the question is this. Why should men and women believe in him? Why should they entrust their eternal welfare to Jesus of Nazareth? Well, quite simply, because of what God himself says of his son. We're told here that the Holy Spirit, God, the third person of the Trinity, testifies that this one is the son of God. If you look back to verse 5 there, who is it? 
who overcomes the world uh, except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit testifies that he's the Son of God. And we're told that he came by water and blood. The Spirit reveals this to us that he came by water and blood. Now, what is meant here? This has been a battleground, a theological battleground for many centuries. Many ideas have been in, uh, presented as to what water and blood stand for. In order to understand it, you must uh, realize that John is writing into a situation where uh, a, an early heresy threatened the well-being of the church. Gnosticism and certain forms of Gnosticism. There were there were different kinds of uh, different forms of this heresy. But be behind what John is saying here is his need to address some of the serious issues which challenged and in fact threatened the spiritual well-being of the church. And so we the most the most uh, likely. And the most satisfactory explanation of these difficult terms lies uh, in understanding this context. You see, there were Gnostics, and what they believed about Jesus was this. That he was just a man, Jesus of Nazareth, who at one point at his baptism, he was infused with Messiahship. So the Christ came upon him at his baptism. Water. Okay? And then at his crucifixion, blood. This Christ, this Messiah, disappeared again. And it was the man, Jesus of Nazareth, simply, who died. Now what John is saying here is that this is heretical, this is wrong. It is the Jesus who was born, who lived a perfect life, who, was, who began his public ministry when the Holy Spirit came upon him at his baptism, he began his public ministry. It was the same Jesus who then went to the cross and who died. This God-man, this Son of God. John is insistent here that the Son of God from eternity past, the Logos, as he talks about earlier on in his gospel, the one who was baptized at the commencement of his public ministry, is the one who then shed his blood on the cross. And of course we then, uh, for us, we understand that. We, we, we believe this. We don't understand how the God-man can die. Uh, for us, that's beyond our understanding. You know, there are aspects of the, the crucifixion which just are beyond us. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is God the Son crying out to God the Father. And uh, there, are, there are depths there which really are beyond us. But God's testimony here is that Jesus is God's son. This is what God declares. And there's a threefold witness, John says, the Holy Spirit, the water, and the blood. This testimony is regarded as sure because it's a testimony of more than one witness. What astounding truth this is, yet... We take it so often for granted, don't we? We talk very lightly about Jesus, the Son of God, coming to die for us. But when you pause and you begin to meditate upon that, you, you begin to unpack it, as it were, to, to think that God himself, in the person of his Son, was prepared to come and to die for us. Then it does indeed... Um, uh, sh shock us I think and surprise us and, and it is beyond our understanding so the almighty God is the one who comes to us to identify with us as mortal beings incarnate in Christ the immortal God identified with poor human beings and in the person of his son Jesus represents as the son he represents us before his father he is our representative and he can be because he was made like us truly a man God becomes personally involved 
with us as his poor and puny creatures. Amazing. So he is God's son, but he is also the saviour. This is what the scriptures tell us here. This was his reason for coming. He came to bring us spiritual life. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. This life, we are told, is in his son. Verse 11, God gave us eternal life. This life is in his son. So that apart from Jesus, apart from Christ, men and women cannot possibly have spiritual life. Apart from Jesus, they cannot have spiritual life, the life of God. As a man, Jesus identified with us in our weakness, represented us before his Father as God. He could graciously offer his perfect life as a sacrifice for us and then give us his life, eternal life. So this is God's testimony about Jesus. He is God's Son and he is our Saviour. Now, this testimony is brought to us by the Holy Spirit. And John strongly makes the point here that if we receive the testimony of two or three fallen men, you know in Scripture it says don't receive an accusation or, uh, of, of, of one person only, but there must be two or even three witnesses. Well, if we are prepared to receive the testimony of two or three fallen men, then we are bound to receive that of the Almighty God. For his testimony, verse 9 tells us, his testimony is greater. The testimony of God is greater. And so we come to the core issue that I want to bring uh, to tonight. Uh, and it's this. It's profoundly solemn and serious. To reject God's testimony is to call God a liar. To reject the testimony of Christ, about Christ, is to call God a liar. What a dreadful thing. Now, you may well protest, and perhaps unbelievers generally would protest that they would never dare say such a thing or charge God in such a way. And I accept that. I accept that many would shrink from ever putting such a thing in blunt words like that. Many would shrink from insulting God with such a charge. Though having said that, there are a considerable number of people who do. Dismissing the Christian gospel as rubbish or nonsense. It's told of one French atheist that as he died, he was shaking his fist at God. You know, well, he was in no uncertain terms calling God a liar. But I want to say to you, suggest to you that there are churchmen today who are calling God a liar. Some of them prominent and outspoken and highly respected, as it were, as pillars in the community. And they're calling God a liar. Because they're putting their personal opinions and their personal views and their personal standards, and their likes and their dislikes above the written testimony of the scriptures, above the scriptural revelation. But then there are many others, and there are many in our community like this, who actually are declaring it with their lives. Not in so many words, but with their lives. Consider this common scenario, if you like. People who have heard the gospel, even have respect for it, and respect indeed for true believers, but who persist in their own way, believing that somehow or another they'll make it to heaven apart from the gospel way. Those people are calling God a liar. By their lives, they're charging God with falsehood. For they're declaring that by the way they live and the things that they do, by preferring their own way to God, it will bring them to safety. And all this is in contradiction of God's declared truth that Jesus is the only way. So rejecting God's testimony is calling God a liar. And we can do that in different ways. And men and women do it in different ways. Some are outspoken atheists. Some are secularists. Um, some are agnostics. Some are materialists. 
living for this world and the things of this world. Some have a religious veneer, but they have their they put their own thoughts and their own ideas above the truths that are revealed to us in the scriptures, calling God a liar. And what follows on from that is equally serious because such people then will suffer spiritual death. This is what scripture tells us here. Those who take this kind of line, either verbally or in the way that they live, are in danger of ultimate spiritual death. And that's what John says here. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Oh yes, they're animated, they're moving about, they're walking and breathing and all the rest of it, but they're dead. And they're in danger of spiritual death. I want to take you back for a minute to the Garden of Eden. And, uh, uh, and it's a favorite, uh, I suppose, what we say, a battleground for, the, for the, the critics and the cynics and the skeptics and so forth. And one of the things that skeptics say is, doesn't the Bible say that God said in the day that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they would die? Does. But they didn't die. No. They didn't die physically. They didn't die physically. But they died in a much more serious way. They died spiritually. And the, the symbolism of being cast out of the garden and the flaming sword separating them from God, separating them from the tree of life, separating them from their former innocent and pure state was spiritual death. So in the day that they ate of it, they did die. Physical death was postponed. But Adam and Eve were separated from God that day. And whatever else hell is, whatever else hell is, hell is utter and complete separation from God and all that is good. You know, there's a kind of a common thing goes about. You talk to, to unsafe folk at times and they get a bit careless in the way they're talking and you warn them about God's punishment. You warn them about hell. And, uh, and some of them are glib enough to say, oh, well, a lot of my mates are going there, so we'll have a good time together. Dear friends, what could be further from the truth? Separated from God, there would be no such thing as joy. There would be no such thing as happiness. There would be no such thing as laughter. There would be no such thing as fulfillment. There would be no such thing as a sense of purpose. I've begun to reread. Um, in fact, my wife, uh, Dorothy, she uh, picked it up in the study tonight. I hope she doesn't uh, take it off to read for herself because I've just started to reread it. Uh, uh, um, C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. Um, it's quite difficult in places, um, but it's, it's a book in which he tries to tackle this whole issue of the implications of hell, what it means. And one of the things that comes across from his writing is the emptiness. The emptiness of existence without God. The purposelessness. The drifting through an existence where there is nothing that brings any joy or happiness or satisfaction. Now hell may be much more than that, I don't know. It's beyond our comprehension again. But those who reject Jesus Christ as Saviour are in danger of this awful, permanent separation from God, which is called eternal death. So rejecting God's testimony is calling God a liar. And it's suffering or putting yourself in line for that ultimate spiritual death. But to receive God's testimony. To finish this evening on a, on a gladder note. On a, on a happier note. We are told here that to receive God's testimony. In verses 11 and 12. Is in fact to have eternal life. And this is the testimony. That God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. So God has not only testified. As to who Jesus is. His son. But he's also testified to what we have in Jesus when we trust in him. We have life. We have eternal life. 
Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have this life. In Christ, the, the life of God, which was breathed into Adam in the garden. Very interesting, isn't it? You know, you read Genesis again, it's profound truths in that book. God said, you know, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be, and there was, and there was, and there was. And then he said, let us make man in our image. And he breathed into him. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Here was this intimate connection between the creator and the creature whom he made in his own image. And of course that life of God was, it was forfeited and it was lost through sin. But in Christ it's recovered. Indeed, believers receive more in Christ than was lost. Let me explain it to you. Because having been born from above, we are in a situation where we enjoy a life that can never more be subject to sin or death or separation from God. So what we have in Christ is even more is even greater than what God gave to Adam and Eve at the very beginning. It's to have the door opened to the fullness of life and the very presence of God. That's a very different perspective on death, isn't it? Death was called by the old Puritans or those who lived in those days the king of terrors. One old Puritan said how shall a frail man shake hands with a king of terrors? Death, fear, only perceived in that negative and dreadful sense. But here's a new perspective. Here's a different perspective on it. For the, for the believer, death is not the end. It's not the end. But it's a glorious new beginning. It is not the ultimate loss which it is for so many who live only for this world and the things of this world. But it's the door into ultimate blessing and gain. It's hard for us. I'll, I'll admit to you, I, I find it hard. Uh, as maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you don't feel it as hard. But it's hard for us to appreciate this while we're still in our earthly relationships. So, so many of us have a, we find great joy and fulfillment in our families and in our friends and, and in our church fellowship. We, 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 we can't conceive of life, if you like, without the blessings and the, the enrichment we have from all of those sources. And that's why we treasure them. That's why if the bus to heaven was outside the door tonight, not too many of us would want to hop on it. Because we love our, 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 our mums and dads, our brothers and sisters, our sons and daughters, our grandchildren um, and our brothers and sisters in the church. We, we, we are fearful, uh, naturally, of forfeiting those relationships. But actually, the Bible brings a different perspective. And, and although it's hard for us to appreciate it, actually, God assures us that what is laid up for us in heaven, what is laid up for us in glory, is infinitely more glorious, indescribably more wonderful in terms of glory and joy, which will be ours. Um, we have only human words to try to describe these things. And it's impossible. That inheritance which is laid up for us, unfading, uh, 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 set there, as it were, kept for us, says Peter, who are kept. Wonderful the way he puts the double lock on it. He said that incorruptible inheritance is kept for us who are kept by the power of God. It's a wonderful thing to know that this glory awaits us when we see Christ. So to receive God's testimony is to possess eternal life. But I want to take you one step further. You may think it's not, this is not necessary, but I think it is. I think John says to receive God's testimony is also to know that you possess eternal life. To know that you possess eternal life. To have that conviction, to have that sense of security and safety, which is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. John often writes, of course, in his gospel and in these letters, of knowing, of knowing both here 
uh, in this uh, section of his writing and also in the, in the gospel. Um, our confidence uh, here, he points out, is in the testimony of our God who does not lie. How can we know? Because he is promised. How can we be sure? Because he never lies. He also states here, specifically, that he says, uh, so that you may know, I write these things to you. Verse 13, we didn't read it together, but let's read it now. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know you have eternal life. That assurance may be yours. And, uh, and with that assurance and with that position that we have come so many other blessings that you may know to receive God's testimony is to have eternal life, but it's to know that you have eternal life. You know, we've been reminded in the starkest terms in the last six months that in this world there is nothing secure. Nothing. If that message hasn't got to you tonight, think about it. Nothing secure. The business world, the world of commerce, employment, health and wealth, all have been prey to this invisible enemy, a bug which has thrown our world of sophistication and arrogant self-belief into chaos. Fear and uncertainty rule in many lives. And although few will admit it or own up to it, we've been shown up to be very small and very weak in this great cosmos in which we live. Nothing certain except for what we have in Christ. John tells us here that we can know for certain. None of us can be sure of what tomorrow holds for us. In reality, none of us can be sure even of our next breath. But God's children can know, and they do know, that they are safe in the hand of the Savior and in the hand of the Father. So, in conclusion, when the choice is bluntly put, when the choice is put in these blunt terms, heaven or hell, heaven or hell, Eternity in the fullness of the richness of God's presence. Or eternal banishment and separation from God and all that is good. When the choice is put as bluntly as that, I think there are relatively few who would be so foolish as to opt for eternal destruction. And yet there are many. And it may be that there are some in this meeting tonight. There may be that as men and women remain in their unsaved state, they are essentially making God out to be a liar. By refusing to believe, by refusing to admit their sin, by refusing to admit their need of rescue, by persisting in the belief that you can make it in some other way. You're calling God a liar. And God says this. And John reminds us again. Whoever has a son. Has life. Whoever does not have the son of God. Does not have life. And whoever does not believe. Has made him a liar. Well, may God have mercy upon us and by his spirit continue to work on the hearts of those of us who are his children so that we will honor him and glorify him in all our ways. And may he speak to any this evening who are outside of Christ that they will see the dreadfulness, the awfulness of their spiritual condition and turn and trust the Savior. Let's pray together and then we're going to close by listening to that tremendous hymn in Christ alone. Uh, so that's Our Father, we thank you that your word is always honest and forthright. That your word is always trustworthy.
we confess that at times it makes us feel uncomfortable. At times, if we're honest, Lord, even the implications of some of the things that you tell us in your word, they, they frighten us. And Yet, our Father, we thank you for the many of us who have fled to Christ and who have had our fears removed and our guilt taken away and have that prospect of spiritual death removed for us, from us for all eternity and who are now in possession of eternal life through Jesus. Thank you for your word tonight, Lord. We pray that you'll write it in the hearts of each one of us. And Lord, if there are one or two who are still outside of Christ, that they'll see the seriousness of rejecting him and turn to him even this evening for salvation. Hear our prayers, Lord. Bless us as we part and uh, go home. Take us to our homes in safety. Lord, we pray again for your protecting hand upon us as each one, uh, as individuals, as families, and as a church family. We pray in all of this we will bring glory and honour to our dear and blessed Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still and striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand In Christ alone Who took a flash Fullness of God in helpless faith This gift of love And righteousness Spawned by the ones he came to save Till on the cross as Jesus died The wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live Body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Out from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since Christ was lost, it's great for me, for I am his and he is mine. God with the precious blood of Christ No guilt in life, no fear in death This is the power of Christ in me From life's first cry to final breath Jesus command my destiny me home here in the power of Christ 
I'll stand.